Hello and welcome to Colpix Radio, WCPX 66.6 in the ether. With me, your friendly host at the castle, Count Nudo. I bid you welcome. I am the smut peddler. And I am the mistress of the dark. For smut and also for Django, I am Kitty Lash. <laughs> Lovely to have you back, Kitty. Um, Indeed. It's a rather special evening that you've arrived at the Culpe Castle. No, wrong film. Um, but worth quoting all the same. So it's been a little bit of a break while we've been all, I think, traveling. Um, sadly, not together, but um, Smut Peddler and I were spending almost a week in Lyon. Um, Smut, do you want to tell us why? Well, we have been visiting for the... Actually, the second time, uh, the MIPS, the the Marché International du Film Classique, which is part of the Lumiere Film Festival la la. in the birth city of the of cinema, where the Lumiere brothers hung out, and it's yeah. a professional market for anyone working with vintage films. So it's a lot of film archives, a lot of rights holders, DVD distributors. And um, just loads of fun for us who are into this. So we had 25 meetings in four days, which was quite quite a feat. Yep. And uh, I think we're coming out of that with a lot of really, really cool films and uh, deals for the future. Don't you think so, Django? Yep. And it, yeah, it Definitely was, and it was great to see what everybody else was showcasing. You know, they're still big on DVDs and packaged media in France. And before it kicked off, we actually had a day when we were um, selling our merch and goods, and we brought posters yeah. and books and DVDs. So we weren't just sort of selling rights to films. We're actually selling the films and the film posters. So it was a real kick, for example, to give um, original poster, Swedish poster of Eyes Without a Face, to the lovely people from Gaumont, whose film it is. So it was a real kind of big geek out, nerd out, nerd fest, uh, flea market. And also the funny fact that, well, you pointed out, it's uh, so interesting to discuss film rights with the East European countries because there's only one entity you have to negotiate with because everything <laughs> was done through the communist governments. Yeah. So we had fun discussions with the Czechs and the Poles and uh, other ones. But um, we do have to single out the yeah. Hungarians because they have a very special place in our heart. And what was really amazing is right when we were there, it was the 140th birthday of uh, none other than the great Bella Ferenc Desche Blasco, better known as... Bella Lugosi. Happy birthday, Bella. 140 years young. And uh, still beloved. And so we um, said to them, you know, happy birthday to one of their greatest exports. And they came back to us that same day and said, oh, by the way, we found the first ever silent film that Bela Lugosi uh, appeared in. Would you mm. like it? And we said, hell yes. It was cool. <laughs> so we could show it on cult picks. The Hungarians were great. And um, not going to reveal too much about what we're going to get from them, but something unusual. Something it will be fun. a theme week of um, wonderful proportions that no one really knew of, yeah. apart from in Hungary, probably. Yeah. Um, so 
in honor of this week's uh, subject, why don't we begin by playing a clip from one of the new things we posted on Cold Picks in honor of Bela Lugosi for his 140th birthday. That control book. Dr. Zucker, you're not going to let that thing out again, are you? And suddenly, there's work to be done of it. Might get away like it did last time. I created it. I can control it or destroy it as I can you, you whom I helped escape from prison. Well, see what good it is. The cops will never let anything like that walk down the street. What could the police or anybody do against an army like them? Both be controlled. They could crush all opposition and make me the most powerful man in the world. I'm not old enough to know about serials personally, but I'm sure my father went. Um, and I know, basically, I, I learned them from Steven Spielberg basing Indiana Jones and sort of the serials that were always had cliffhangers or very exciting and it would bring you back to the cinema. Now, this is for people that, uh, well, television wasn't around, um, but it brought people back to the cinema to see things like newsreels, also feature films, maybe some shorts, but these were all sorts of different kind of uh, episodes, sort of like episodic uh, TV that we now binge watch. And they could be anything from Western to sci-fi to horror or um, adventure, war films. Um, this one was Bela Lugosi as a um, mad scientist wanting to take over the world. And um, Smart Peddler, you actually hadn't seen it, but you recognized the key art from it, especially the big robots. Yeah, those robots are so beautiful. I've seen so many stills of them over the years, and especially I have one of those um, sort of books about just robots in cinema, and that's one of them, because it's supposedly, it, it's kind of a, like a Robocop, it seems. It, they are supposed to patrol the streets, according to this clip, but why do they have big fangs, sharp teeth, yeah, <laughs> to make yeah, them look scary. But, but I love how he even's got a, a strap-on controller on his arm, which with which he remote controls this mm. robot. It is like you said, a, a proto Robocop, and and yeah. great fun. So definitely watch it on Cold Picks. But so who can tell me about um, Bella Lugosi? I really like Bella Lugosi, and of course I know him mostly from my father doing imitations of him um, across the floor, along with his imitations of the mummy. But he would go, I am Bella. And he'd always, like, get his tongue too big in the way, you know. Um, but, uh, yes, of course, we used to see him play movies Saturday mm. American television, um, Saturday afternoon. Uh, I'm pretty sure I've seen almost everything of his. Although The Phantom Creeps is new to me. And I think it's amazing to see him with a beard because... He, actually yes. is really impressive in The Phantom Creeps, and it makes me want to see more episodes. Obviously, having been born in what was then the Habsburg Empire in Hungary, um, and he was actually born in the, I didn't know this, but he was born in the village of uh, Lugos, and so he's like Corleone. He took his uh, name as a tribute to his ancestral village um, in, I think, what is now though Romania. I think um, Lugosi is the ideal name because we never heard it before. But also, Blasco <laughs> wouldn't really quite cut it. No, you're right. Lugosi just sounds better. 
Um, and he started as a regular stage actor. Um, he performed Shakespeare plays in um, provincial theaters sort of right after the turn of the century. Um, and he's said to have played in 172 different productions in Hungary um, before he then moved on to silent films in 1917, um, during which time he also managed to serve in the First World War and sustaining an injury that came to be a kind of define him for the rest of his life mm. uh, in terms of how he shaped his life. Talking about uh, Bela Lugosi and the war, um, I was reading up on it and apparently he had to do some pretty horrible things and witnessed some extra horrible things. So I think that he not only had a physical injury, but I think he also was suffering from what we'd call PTSD, uh, what they'd call shell shock. And I think that these two things did plague him all the way. And it just goes to show you that uh, I think once you go through something like war, whether it's the first one or the second one or any, it uh, doesn't go away. But he couldn't stay on in Hungary after that, could he? He's an interesting character in, in many ways, a person, because he was always involved in in politics and union and labor movement, Causes. stuff like that. And uh, he, um, he was part of, uh, I don't know what his part was, but he was part of a failed Hungarian communist revolution in 1919. I think from what I've read, uh, Bella was in trouble for, well, among other things, uh, Developing an actors' union. So Bella went to Germany and uh, leaving his wife behind, and uh, then moved on. Came to New Orleans as a sailor on a merchant ship, and uh, then towards the famous Ellis Island outside New York, where the immigrants came. Now we're not going to play too many film clips. Um, obviously, we're, we're only going to do two, and you heard the. Um, one before that from the Phantom Creeps. But what we've managed to uncover is a whole bunch of amazing interviews with Bela Lugosi, where he talks about his um, his life, his craft, um, his addictions. And um, it really gives a sense of the person, Bela Lugosi, not just the caricature or the, the kind of screen um, character uh, that he himself built up and, and you know, reruns built up and, and portrayals of him also built up. But this first one is a fascinating promotional interview where he talks about um, his background, but also how he's now you know firmly an American and um, really um, captures so much about his characters. I'm Hungarian by birth. I'm an American now. Well, why did you leave Hungary? Political reasons. After the war, I participated in the revolution, and later, I found myself on the wrong side. It's very nice to live in a country where people know how to mind their own business. Uh, Mr. Lugosi, did you play uh, any mystery parts in Europe? No, I, I didn't. By accident, I didn't. Well, what type of roles did you play? Oh, different kind of roles. Character, dramatic, romantic, all kinds. Well, what was your first mystery play? Well, Dracula. Oh, did the role depress you? Very much. It hunted me. I often dreamed of the dead. In the morning when I woke up, I was tired and pressed. 
This one is really the first instance where you get a feeling of, of um, the role of Dracula yet to come for him uh, being both a blessing and a curse for him pretty much for the rest of his life. Well, you're satisfied uh, with your work in the picture? No. Whenever an actor gets satisfied with his work, he's done, he's through. You see, in the National Theatre of Hungary in Budapest, all the great character parts are played by four or five different players. Each competes with the other. Each plays a part in accordance with their own conception. And the audience is just as much interested in the actor's conception of the role than it's interested in the play itself. Mm -hmm. Well, would you like to play in any more mystery parts in the future? Yes, why not? I see it. They're very interesting. But I would rather have uh, it combined with some romance. Um, I also love how she keeps asking about how he appears in, quote, mystery films, which I think was a kind of a catch-all for anything with suspense, supernatural, science fiction. Um, we don't have that genre anymore, do we? Mystery films. No. But in, in Sweden, incidentally, the film was called Mysteriet Dracula. Oh. The Mystery Dracula was the title, really so it good. must have been some sort of established term, I guess. I don't say I don't like people at all, but to tell you the truth, I only like them if I have a chance to look deep into their heart and in their mind. If I find there something, something worthwhile, some, some human kindness, some sympathy. What I like about this intimate interview is that it seems quite staged. So it's almost as if they're setting him up as this mysterious actor who's telling us the truth, but he's actually not. Another thing, I like the way that she is initially sort of attracted to him. And then he starts speaking to no one or responding to no one and she gets freaked out. So it's maybe the whole gist of the way he played... Um, Dracula at that point, sort of repulsive and yet alluring. And maybe he was the only person that really mm. could do that. Well, it's fascinating that he really got to know the character of Dracula by virtue of the fact that he played him on stage so much before he got to portray him on screen. I hadn't appreciated that um, having begun in the Broadway theater production of Dracula in 1927, he then went on a tour um, throughout um, New York City and the United States for over 260 performances um, from 1927 to 1929. And that's how he ended up in California and ended up staying there as part of this touring theater company. So it wasn't the films that took him there. It was Dracula and the stage play that got him there. Just a little side note here it's interesting because this is so very much in parallel with the marx brothers oh. who went on tour with their like musicals or comedy plays and they you know they they polished the jokes they polished the timing they went on and on and on and on they scrapped things they didn't that didn't work with the audience and i would you know before they became films so yeah. i i appreciate that that could be the fact with Bela Lugosi and Dracula too, that he sort of, he had shaped that character for such a long time to really go down with the audiences. He literally road tested it um, yeah. and saw what worked. So he probably did a different hand gesture in, in Milwaukee than he would do in Chicago <laughs> and see which one got the biggest audience exactly. um, yeah. scare reaction. 
That's a fascinating. So that's pre- that's pretty cool. Yeah. So so once Bella had arrived in um, Los Angeles in Hollywood, you'd think that it would be a given that he would translate the stage performance of Dracula to uh, the big screen. But no, he wasn't the first pick or even the second pick for uh, Universal's adaptation of Dracula. This this shocked me, as well as the number of other people who were considered. Like Yeah, but if Paul Mooney, for instance, was, was the first choice, that would make sense because he was, he was a big Hollywood actor. Yeah, but maybe I'm ignorant about Hollywood actors from the late 1920s, but Joseph Schildkraut, Arthur Edmund Carew... William Courtenay. It's not until we get down to John Carradine that there's somebody I recognize. But yeah, and as you pointed out, um, smart peddler John Carradine. Actually, although he wasn't chosen for this part uh, for Dracula, he did go on to play Dracula in other films later on after Bella. Yeah, in a whole bunch of them, and funnily enough, two of them are on cult picks, which are uh, Billy the Kid versus Dracula by the infamous William One-Shot Bordine mm. and, of course, <laughs> Vampire Hookers. So you see where, where we're going with that. Yeah, and hopefully we'll have Nocturna on cult picks at some point yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, incidentally, John Carradine, Dracula in Billy the Kid versus Dracula is the avatar as well for uh, cult picks on Instagram if you want to mm. see what he looks like. But yeah, so so how did Bella eventually land the part of um, Dracula in the Universal uh, Pictures adaptation? It was Lou Ayres who was hired to play Dracula. He then got replaced by Robert Ames uh, because he got a different part in the Universal Pictures. And Ames, in turn, was replaced by David Manners. These are all actors of which I know nothing other than that they didn't play Dracula. Um, and David Manners would end up playing John Harker. And so finally, Lugosi got the part um, because director Todd Browning uh, cast him in the part, obviously seen him on stage and liked him. And what surprised me, though, was that um, the real bloodsuckers here were Universal Pictures who paid Lugosi a pittance, only three and a half thousand dollars, which even back then wasn't that much. Speaking of uh, Bella Lugosi and Bloodsucker, uh, here's him doing the opposite in a promotional clip from uh, War- Second World War. Here, for instance, is Bela Lugosi, the screen's number one vampire who's decided to pay back some of that blood that he's borrowed. This, ladies and gentlemen, is a scene in which any actor really gives his best. Well, of all things, coffee and donuts. No, no, Bela, you mustn't. Remember your career. How can fans believe you're a werewolf if they've seen you dunking? Another illusion gone. It's getting so a man can't even believe in vampires anymore. So that was Bella giving blood. Yeah. What I love about Bella giving blood, it's just so American 1940s humor, um, or maybe later, but it's, uh, uh, you know, he's a vampire, but he's giving blood. Ha, 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 ha. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. And it seems from the clips that we've seen so far uh, that they're always kind of slightly making fun of of Bella as Dracula. Um, I mean, that is his persona. And I think it's not only because he is um, doesn't sound American, but also I think because, uh, you know, we're still a little afraid of Dracula and vampires in general. Bella was very much, even though he was Dracula, and if you don't believe me, you know, Google a gif with um, his best moments as Dracula. It, it captures his essence. And yet he was so much in the shadow of um, the other Universal star, also European emigre, Boris Karloff, 
Real name? Oh, I know. I know what his real name is. I do. I do. Pick me. William Henry Pratt. That was Boris Karloff. So they got to play together in no less than five films at Universal, um, including The Black Cat in 34, The Raven 35, The Invisible Ray 36, Son of Frankenstein in 1939, and then Black Friday in 1940, um, as well as two more RKO pictures. Um, so they really must have gotten to know each other. And yeah. apparently... Um, Bit of a friction there between them, I read. Because yeah, Karloff always got first billing. Yes. Always. Whatever Bella's role was. And probably paid more as well. Probably, yeah. But is is this all because of the, the, the accent thing? Bella's accent, because it is so heavy, really did play an enormous part in his success and also his limitations. Um, don't forget American audiences really don't like subtitles and they really don't like struggling. That's one of the reasons why they were complaining about, um, well, not everybody was complaining about Christopher Nolan's tenant, that he is, uh, might the dialogues in a particular way on purpose so people can't really hear what people are saying in the film. But there have been Scottish films that needed subtitles in America. So people really resist a very heavy accent that isn't immediately intelligible. Yeah, but it must have been very frustrating to to be typecast because he 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 seems to have he did so many dramatic roles in Hungary and and yeah, now being in all of these horror films. Yeah, but I'm thinking uh, to me I just thought about it the other day. Uh, if this was his you know curse, it's been a virtue for others. I mean, uh, Schwarzenegger. He never <laughs> learned to speak properly. But if he would, he wouldn't have gotten all of these parts because that's part of his shtick, yeah. you know, his, his accent. I think you're absolutely right. I think that Arnold Schwarzenegger is the perfect analogy. But Schwarzenegger is somehow clearer, um, not just because I listen to him on my Waze app that guides me through the streets of London, but um, he does enunciate quite well. Where I think that Lugosi's accent, which apparently he couldn't change, uh, was also probably not as well miked. And all that cape ruffling. Within the genres, he did do a lot of um, very different films. He didn't just play vampire, although he kept coming back to that. Um, and many of them are on cult picks. You know, just Google Bella Lugosi. Um, I think we had so many, we had to take some away. Um, yeah, because there were just too many. But we did have uh, White Zombie, uh, Voodoo Man, one of the early zombie yeah. pioneer films, um, as well as what we'll get to later, which is all the Ed Wood films. Uh, it's brilliant that Cult Picks has so many uh, Bela Lugosi films, particularly the spectacular White Zombie. But um, one of the ones films we do want to play a clip from is um, a Second World War um, thriller which is very Manchurian candidate. It's called Black Dragons, about Nazis and, and Japs trying to infiltrate America with these um, surgically, you know, re-rendered, um, what do you call them, undercover agents or plants. You must be mistaken. I don't know what you're talking about. That's strange. I was sure you would remember me. Your voice seems familiar. 
But I'm positive I've never seen your face before. That you are but half right. You did see me before. But I've changed since then. Just as you have. Melcher! Hey, doctor! No, no, please! Please, I don't deserve it! Someone screamed. Sounded like a banshee. Just a momentary upset. Nothing serious. Sorry we intruded. Are you sure everything's all right? Yes, quite. Gentlemen, please accept my apology. I, I shall be detained longer than I anticipated. So there you had it. Bela Lugosi didn't just play a vampire. He could play evil Nazi as well. If you're going to play a Nazi, it's pretty easy. It helps to have an accent, of course, but as long as you can just hold the cigarette in fingers that no one would ever hold it like, then you're fine. You know, just like, like the, the second and third, the thumb and the pinky, as long as it's weird. What I find fascinating about Black Dragons is that it was rushed into production following the uh, Pearl Harbor attack. So, uh, and the original working title was The Yellow Menace. Why don't we, um, I love this also second interview, which um, we're going to play with Bela Lugosi, which was done on a ship for an early television station uh, recorded on film. But he'd just come back from London where he'd where he'd been filming. Well, first of all, he'd been back on stage. So he returned to the stage time and time again to play Dracula. Um, so it, at least it was a constant source of income for him, even though he probably got very sick of it and he says as much. Um, but it does, this, this interview does acknowledge him as actually a great actor who just wasn't given the opportunity to show his full range. And he talks wistfully about the kind of parts he would have liked to have played as well or be cast. As a result of Dracula, you I were, make a living. Well, and you were typecast, you know. <laughs> you, you've, you've made many other pictures of its type, vampire pictures and, 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 and mystery pictures and things of that sort. But at the same time, I know you are always yearning, as all actors are, to do a different type of stage vehicle. What would you like to do, the romantic, the... No, I would uh, prefer to play comedy. <laughs> you see, after I, I finished now playing a half a year Dracula on the stage, I was called to make a picture here in London called Vampire Over London. It was a, a horror part, but the situation was so funny that really it caused his laugh. So I really enjoyed it. You know, Fred Allen wants to do uh, Hamlet. Jack Benny wants to do Hamlet. Bella Lugosi wants to play the uh, comedian. Sit down to the Bergerac. <laughs> Sit down to Bergerac. Sure. And you'd probably do very, very well at it. What was your favorite role? Was it Dracula? Uh, in America, in English, no. or in Hungary at home? We never consider your Hungarian performances because they've been, you know, so many years ago. Yes, yes, that's right. Now, Bela Lugosi did do comedy, didn't he? He did a lot of them, unfortunately, because um, after the serious films from the 30s, uh, we have the um, the the um, Abbott and Costellos and the, the li like films like that, but made fun of the horror films, and and they actually cast the poor serious monster actors as the monsters in these comedies. Mm. And, you know, I'm sure they were the best paying things that were on offers. So you had to end up playing a parody of yourself 
Um, yeah. And in the Abbott Costello, it wasn't just him. I think it was Lon Chaney also popped up. And yes, absolutely. It was yeah. And and Glenn Strange, who played uh, Frankenstein in the later films, who he was also in those. So that's yeah. right. Boris Karloff, you know, wouldn't do it, but Glenn Strange is mm. actually very Karloff-like. Yeah, if you can say in the part. Um, and then, of course, he did Vampire of London, um, which I think we had before on on Cold Picks. But mm. the one I want to talk about is the perennial favorite because it's it's funny and weird for so many reasons. And it gets Bella's, I think it's the only film with Bella's name in the title. Bella Lugosi meets a Brooklyn gorilla, 1951. Yeah. Which to me sounds like by it, William Bourdain actually one yeah, shot Bourdain back before. again yes yeah yeah um, but it's not a sort of um, Birkenstock wearing um, latte latte sipping Brooklyn Gorilla um, in fact I yeah it's a bit of a mystery why they called it that um, yeah but it does have a unique um, selling point in that it is the film that is not with um, Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin. Who is who are exactly. the deep fakes? Well, the thing is, they have the comedy team uh, Duke Mitchell and Sammy Petrillo, uh, who are emulating the Martin Lewis shtick. And uh, uh, I must say that Sammy Petrillo is is like a, a spitting image of of Jerry Lewis. And I think um, Jerry Lewis actually uh, sued him for that likeness for for sort of mimicking him completely. But he does it uh, like a uh, sort of if if Jerry Lewis characters seem silly, he do he does them like a retard. Yeah. So it's really <laughs> it's really horrible horrible to see. Kitty, how do you feel about Martin Lewis and and them getting a knockoff act? Now I wasn't aware, although I'm pretty sure I have seen this film. I wasn't aware that Sammy Petrillo was an identikit of Jerry Lewis, virtually in every single way. It, it's uh, almost uncanny valley uh, area. But I had a look, and apparently um, Lewis really didn't have uh, any recourse legally until a new law was passed. So, hmm, IP is so tricky. Dr. Zabe was a very brilliant man. Brilliant man, huh? Anybody who lives in a creep joint like this must be a moronic idiot. Good morning. I'm Dr. Zaber. Welcome to my creep joint. Oh, gosh, I, I'm sorry, Mr. Idiot. I didn't mean to call you creep joint a creep joint. Oh, I think nothing of it. Doctor, I would like you to meet my friends. Yes? Hi, Doc. I'm Duke Mitchell. It's my partner, Sammy Petrillo. We were on our way to do a thing. Don't I know you from someplace? I don't think so. Hey, Dookie, come here. I think I know where you know this guy from. Where? Ain't this the fellow that goes around with the hands and the faces, biting people on the neck and wearing capes? You're crazy. Watch out for bats! Wait a minute, I'll prove it to you, watch. Dr. Zaber? Yes? Would you do me a favor? What is it? Make a face. What? Thanks. See? What did I tell you? Now go over and apologize. I ain't gonna do it. Come on, you embarrassed me. Go over and apologize. Come on. Dr. Zaber? Yes? 
What do you go around scaring little children for? What are you doing? What's the matter with you? Don't mind him, Doc. He thinks you're the guy that goes around biting little kids on the neck, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's him. <laughs> we had a um, shout-out from uh, Tightspray uh, about another uh, great Bela Lugosi film, which is Voodoo Man on 1944, a story of a mm. mad voodoo doctor, Bela Lugosi, trying to revive his dead wife, but accidentally ending up with a whole basement full of women in a trance-like state. I mean, Lugosi's career is a precursor, really a template for what still happens today. And that includes the mixture of genres that are successful, horror and comedy, comedy and horror. It still happens today. So um, what brings you to the cinema? Uh, the genre you like or the actor you like or two genres you like and an actor you know? Um, so it was around this time which... Um Bela Lugosi's war wound um, was making itself reminded. So he had a sciatic neuritis, and this is how he became addicted to prescription medications, specifically morphine and methadone. And this is what also impacted his career, apart from the parts drying up and him having to do Abbott and Costello meets uh, Frankenstein. Yeah. And of course, the combination of, of prescribed drugs and alcohol is, as we all know, reading on the package, a bad idea. Mm, very, very bad idea. Kids, don't do it. No. Um, but a chance meeting uh, did change uh, the, the last chapters of Bela Lugosi's career, which is, of course, when he encountered um, filmmaker extraordinaire Edwards Jr., that's really something. And I mean, I would say that for people today, Bela Lugosi is known for Dracula and Plan 9 from Outer Space, basically. It's, it's the bookends that define him. I think that's very much true. I think that you, you're older or you've delved into um, older films with Bela Lugosi, or you know him from Ed Wood, Tim Burton and Johnny Depp. And I think that that is the way to uncover um, films. It's the way to do your research. You you wonder, oh, even with documentaries or biopics, you think, I wonder if that's really the case. Now, when we were in Lyon, they were honoring Tim Burton with a kind of lifetime achievement retrospective. And of course, yeah. his film about Ed Wood, perhaps more than anything, more than anything other than those Saturday matinee television revivals of Bela Lugosi's film shaped the kind of modern perception of Bela Lugosi with the extraordinary portrayal of Bela Lugosi in what is a genuinely brilliant and super affectionate film. So Very much so. Um, why don't we take a listen to the um, scene from Edward when Edward, uh, the director, encounters... Um, uh, at Bela Lugosi, as played by Martin Landau for the first time, in a funeral parlor, parlor, or maybe it's a coffin shop. I don't know. Too constrictive. I can't even fold my arms. Gee, Mr. Lugosi, I've, I've never had any complaints. This is before. the most uncomfortable coffin I've ever been in. Your selection is quite shoddy. You're wasting my time. Mr. Lugosi? I told you, I don't bother you about them coffins. No, no, I don't work here. Well, who are you? What do you want? I don't want anything. I just, I'm a really big, big fan. I've seen all your movies. <laughs> Mr. 
Mr. Lugosi, why are you buying a car? I'm planning on dying soon. No. Yes, I'm embarking on another bus and truck tour of Dracula, 12 cities in 10 days, if that's conceivable. Do you know that I saw you perform Dracula in Poughkeepsie in 1938? That was a terrible production. Renfield was a drunk. I thought it was great. You know, you're, you're much scarier in real life than you are in the movie. Thank you. And it, it does uh, do a jo- good job of showcasing not just Bella, but a whole bunch of people in the Ed Wood cinematic universe, if we can call it that. Um, so we had, um, obviously, you know, Tor Johnson. We had... Um, God, names case. Vampira. Vampira, not Elvira. Vampira. Vampira. Uh, Myla Nurmi. Yes. That's her real name. Yeah. And you had great um, actors, or you had terrific actors, such as Sarah Jessica Parker, and, um, you know, apart from Martin Landau. And you have, um, oh, this is why I need to have notes to remember these things. But um, help me here Groundhog Day. Um, Bill Murray, of course, as well. Um, but the standout performance, um, apart from Johnny Depp, who does a great job of sort of catching the manic energy of this man who really believed he was making great films. And I think that's what Tim Burton related to, especially if you've seen his early kind of films like the, the Frankenweenie short. Um, it was definitely so a kindred soul, but um, it did definitely capture a kind of a washed up has been Bella and he himself is quite cynical about this in this second clip of him riding in a car together with Edward. Now no one gives two fucks for Bella. But you're a big star. No more. I haven't worked in 40 years. This business, this town, it chews you up then spits you out. I'm just an ex-boogie man. But Martin Lando did win an Oscar um, for Best Supporting Actor for playing Bela Lugosi. And he talked about the kind of intricate work that went into becoming Bela Lugosi. It wasn't just hamming it up with a East European accent and a sort of raised hand. There was much more to it. When we did the makeup tests, I, I became aware of the differences. I looked like him sometimes and didn't other times. And there was, sometimes I caught him and I... And, and I had to understand his face, for instance. My eyes open up wide when I get emotional. They shut down. And I got a lot of teeth, and you never see his teeth. He's got this Hungarian accent. I move differently than he does. He's more economical and more together. He doesn't use his hands as much. He walks differently. Hung- pure Hungarian accent. He couldn't lose it. You had to work on the accent. All that sure. stuff. All of it. I had to learn a new set of, of signals to my face. I had to learn, uh, I, you know, so that got it out of the way. Because, I mean, if I... The makeup helped, but I had to become him in a, facially. I, there were things I, uh, my face is more expressive than his was. Mm-hmm. My ghost and different. And then uh, his, the power of his work. I mean, I, in, junk, in junk movies, he was brilliant. Even though I think that um, Martin Landau's portrayal of Bella, yes, it won an Oscar. And I think listening to, to his interview, he pays a great compliment to him by saying, you know, in junk movies he was brilliant. But he also does him a disservice by sort of playing up all of the the bad things, uh, you know, the addiction and um, all these other things. There's a lot of, of untruths in, um, in Edwards. Uh, and I think that Edward, but I think maybe it needed to be that way because Martin Landau's 
performance hadn't been as rich and as spicy as it is, uh, maybe that wouldn't be enough of a draw uh, to take us back to do our research. So I'm not going to be too picky with an Oscar winner. Speaking of the addictions, the last and final interview um, is an incredibly candid one that was done uh, by Bella Lugosi as he came out of rehab. Now, I don't know. I know that film celebrities and stars were going in and out of rehab since, you know, silent films, I'm pretty sure. But I don't think they did the Oprah thing quite as much then as, you know, a Matthew Perry or somebody would do now. But this interview, the third and last one with, with uh, Bela Lugosi, he opens up incredibly um, candidly and honestly about his addictions with um, painkillers and alcohol without trying to milk sympathy at all. He's just very mm. forthright about it. And, and, you know, it is what it was. And now he's feeling better. And again, this is one of the things that really endeared him to me at a whole different level. Mr. Lugosi, you're leaving the state hospital tomorrow. Yes, I'm very happy I do, on account that I became a, a new man, new lease of life. I'm cured. You're cured. Yes, I'm very grateful to the state uh, hospital that I, they allowed me and took me when I volunteered. You see, previously I was in a private sanatorium, but they, were, they weren't as strict, so I was, uh, I was afraid it was going to take too long. But now we made a short cut. It was very... How long have you been in the institution, Mr. Uh, three months. Three months. Because 90 days is the state law. Mm -hmm. It's minimum. What did you weigh when you came in? About, or how much underweight were you when you entered the institution? Oh, I was 45 pounds underweight. 45? Yes. Have you put most of that back? Oh, yes. I regained 21 pounds. Mm -hmm. And you feel like your old self again. You feel, <laughs> I feel like a million dollars. You feel like Frankie really felt huh? Sure. That's yeah. best. I'm looking forward to work again. I uh, he then f married his uh, fifth and final wife uh, in 1955, Hope uh, Linninger. It was a 37-year age gap, but she seems to have loved him and been very affectionate to him, uh, going to him in the hospital uh, when he was recovering, and she would sign her letters, A Dash of Hope, which I think is incredibly sweet. Um, yeah. But the son, his Bella George Jr., was with his fourth wife, Lillian, um, and then 1956, he passed away, apparently peacefully in his sleep. But he was 73, which is, I suppose, still a good age, considering everything he went through. Um, so an addict. An addict. And apparently he wasn't clutching the script for The Final Curtain, uh, which was an Edward project going on at the time. Uh, that's just a Bela Lugosi you know, myth. But it yeah. suits him. Bigger question, Definitely. though. Was he or wasn't he buried in this cape? He was. Uh, and and it's, uh, it's a bizarre turn of things, I think. So do we think that it was, it was in his will or was it just something that his family thought would be a good idea? As far as I know, it was definitely not in his will. But something his... his his uh, wife and uh, son had concocted. Yeah, it sounds as if uh, his wife and son thought this was a positive move. Why not bring a little bit of media attention to the loss of their father, who even now, we're talking about him now, we're watching his films now, uh, left an indelible impression uh, with one of the most indelible 
lasting, eternal, if you will, characters in all of fiction, if not Hollywood. And one final footnote, which is that uh, Bela Lugosi made history even after death in the uh, ruling of the uh, case Lugosi versus Universal Pictures, which is um, where the California Supreme Court decided that Lugosi's personality rights couldn't be passed on to his heirs because um, the same way that the copyright for the films would have. And so that um, any um, rights of publicity, including the rights of his image, terminated with Lugosi's death. Now you say that the rights didn't pass on to his heirs, but I think uh, on the official website there are some licensed items that you can buy now. Whether those are negotiated or whether they're not originals, I'm not sure. But uh, it seems as if, uh, yeah, you can still help the family out or their legacy. Um, however, the real irony uh, is that we partly love and know so much about Bela Lugosi because so many of his films, with the exception, obviously, of Dracula, passed into public domain because they were often made by um, Skid Row Studios, like Monogram Pictures, who didn't renew the copyright. And thus, films like Black Dragons are now um, available to everybody and anybody. Um, so that is why probably they were shown so much on Saturday matinee television because it was cheap filler, simply. Yeah. And obviously any show talking about the theme week of Bela Lugosi has to end with a specific song. Yes. Although the question is still which version of it. And so right. Bela Lugosi's dead. You know, we're, we're going to have to have a vote here between the three of us. Do we want the original Bauhaus version from 1979 or do we want the more hipsterish Nouvelle Vague uh, breathy husky edition from more recently well I'll have to say Bauhaus uh, but Massive Attack also did a nice one in the Radio City Music Hall in 2019 so I, I, you know what I'm going to say yes to the above all of the above because <laughs> you're dealing with mix master smut peddler here there you go. We don't have to choose. Uh, any final thoughts, observations, message to the afterlife um, for Mr. Lugosi? Yeah, I've got a message. I think, Bella, if you're listening, we're really appreciating all your hard work and thanks for paving the way and keeping your dignity. And happy birthday 140 years later. And he was part of a very um, specific group of, of people, these kind of homeless, middle Europa, um, turn of the century um, artists. And his curse was that unlike somebody like you know Billy Wilder or Joseph Conrad, he wasn't behind the camera, behind the pen. The accent followed him you know, for the rest of his oh. life and it kind of defined him and, and boxed him in. But at the same time, you know, if he hadn't had that, it wouldn't have been part of his magnetism, his just incredible draw, which wasn't confined just to Dracula, but to all of the roles. He brought this great Central European dignity and nobility with him, and he was so much more than just a caricature. He really was um, a human, uh, by every account, you know, a warm and very special human. And like you said, it's wonderful to be able to get to know him a little bit better on this his one what would have been his 140th year 
Thank you very much for spending time with us here at Cold Peak Castle with me, as always, your host, Django Nudo. Igor. <laughs> and from me, the mistress of the dark and servant to Smut and to Django, Kitty Lash. Yeah. 